we're continuing our Bible study called Established in Grace, and it's on the book of Colossians. And today we're looking at Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. We looked at most of verse 1 last week. We're going to look at a portion of it this week, and we'll move into verse 2. But just to review from last week, the ascended Jesus appears to Paul and sends him into the Gentile cities as a light to proclaim the forgiveness of sins. Now, the forgiveness of sins means your record has been cleared. You have a not guilty record in the courts of heaven. God sees you as forgiven. God sees you as not guilty. Not only do you have a not guilty, cleared, forgiven record, but also Jesus sent Paul to the Gentiles not only to proclaim the forgiveness of sins and cleansing from sins, Cleansing from sins is a clean heart. Your heart is pure. Your heart is clean. So the gospel is not only the forgiveness of our sins, but it's the cleansing of our heart because sins stains the heart. So God God has cleansed our heart. Now, forgiveness and cleansing are received through faith in Jesus. So that's the message that Paul was sent by Jesus to proclaim. That's what it means to be an apostle. So Paul would proclaim this message in Gentile cities. And when people put their faith in Jesus, they received forgiveness and they received a cleansed heart. Jesus uses the word sanctified by faith in me, or your heart's been cleansed by faith in me. So Paul was given the revelation of the gospel of grace from the ascended Jesus. That's so important. It's so important. If we're going to rightly divide the word of truth, if we're going to accurately study scripture, if we're going to appropriately apply scripture to our lives and not apply scripture that was never meant for us to apply, we've got to understand the ascended ministry of Jesus through Paul to the Gentiles. We'll look at more about this in our study of Revelation, but Acts 20, 23 through 24, Galatians 1, 11 through 12, Ephesians 3, 1 through 9, talk all about the revelation of the gospel of grace to Paul by the ascended Jesus. Now, earlier when we were talking about the forgiveness of sins and the cleansing of sins that Jesus sent Paul into the Gentile cities to share, that's Acts 13, 47, Acts 26, 15 through 18 is where you can see a reference to that. So Paul is an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ by the will of God, meaning he's on a mission with a message. That's what the word apostle means. It means one sent out on a mission with a message. So Jesus sent Paul out. I am sending you. We saw that in Acts 26, 15 through 18. I am sending you. That's the word apostle. And so Jesus sent Paul on a mission with a message. And the mission was to go into Gentile cities, and the message was the gospel of grace. All right, remember the earthly ministry of Jesus, he sent the 12 disciples into Jewish cities to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of grace are two different gospels. It's important to understand that the gospel of the kingdom is the good news that Jesus was on earth as the Messiah, as the Christ, ready to usher in the kingdom of God on earth. Okay, that, that's the gospel of the kingdom. And if you notice, as you read through Matthew and Mark and Luke, 
the gospel of the kingdom or the gospel of heaven is the major emphasis. And Jesus confirmed that he was the Messiah. He confirmed that he was the Christ by his miracles because it was the miracles of Jesus that would validate he was the Christ. He was the Messiah. The ascended Jesus sent Paul to communicate the gospel of grace. The gospel of grace is everything Jesus did for us on the cross as Savior. The gospel of the kingdom is Jesus coming to be the king. The gospel of grace is Jesus being the Savior. What does that mean, the Savior? What did he do for us on the cross? Remember Paul said, I I know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified, the message of the cross, the power of the cross. And so it's it's important that we distinguish between those two ministries and we, we don't merge them together. The kingdom of God will come. The kingdom of God will be established on earth. We see that in the book of Revelation. And what's going to enable people to live in the gospel of the kingdom is the gospel of grace. Grace enables people to know Jesus, to be forgiven of all sins, to be cleansed from all sins so that they can live in God's righteous kingdom. So Paul is an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ by the will of God, meaning it's the will of God that Paul go into the Gentile cities proclaiming the gospel of grace. Colossians 1.1 talks about Paul being an apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul's mission from the ascended Jesus is to carry the gospel of grace into Gentile cities and to communicate the message of grace to the people who live there. This was God's will for Paul. We see in Acts 20, 23 through 24, that Paul's life goal was to complete the mission the Lord Jesus gave him of carrying the gospel of grace into cities and communicating it to those who lived in the cities. So Paul says in Acts 20, 23 and 24, he says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If I only may complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task he gave me by revelation of taking God's grace into Gentile cities. So if you just want to make a note, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul's writing his final letter. He's writing it to Timothy, and he says, I have completed the task. I have finished the race. And so when he writes that to Timothy, he's referring back to Acts 20, 23, and 24. What task did Paul finish? What race did he complete? That of testifying to the gospel of grace or the gospel of God's grace is how it's recorded in Acts 20:24. So when Paul went into these Gentile cities and communicated the gospel of grace, people responded with overflowing joy to God. You can read about that in 2 Corinthians 4:15 which says, "All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may result in thanksgiving overflowing to the glory of God." Or when people see the grace of God, They see the greatness of God and they respond in gratitude to God for all he's done for them in Christ. So people in these Gentile cities were overflowing with an attitude of gratitude to God for the grace they were hearing about from Paul, which Jesus sent Paul to proclaim. Now, there were some who weren't overflowing with joy. A lot of the religious leaders who heard Paul speak and saw the response of people to Paul's message, they were angered. So where some were overflowing with gratitude, there were others who were overflowing with anger and hatred 
toward Paul, and these were typically your leaders within the synagogues of the Gentile cities that Paul would go into. So in these Gentile cities were synagogues. They had Jewish leaders. Paul would go in and share the gospel of grace. Typically, these synagogue leaders would get very angry with Paul and kick him out of town. You can see the beginning of that in Acts chapters 13 and 14. And then it just continued in most cities. But the average ordinary person responded to the gospel of grace with incredible joy, resulting in thanksgiving overflowing to God. Now, what we hear typically is, boy, when people hear the gospel of grace, Brad, when you communicate that message, what's going to happen is their lives are going to start overflowing with sin. That's one of the common attacks on grace teachers Boy, people who hear the complete forgiveness of sins and we're completely righteous, they're just going to go sin all the more. Well, that's not what we find in Scripture. What we find in Scripture is people who receive the gospel of grace, who understand the gospel of grace, it results in a life change for them. Their lives are changed. There's joy that's produced in their hearts. And we see this as Paul communicates the gospel of grace. Now, he does deal with people who may hear the message and say, wow, because of grace, I can go sin all I want to now. He deals with that in Romans chapter 6. But if that misconception cannot be applied to a person who's claiming to teach the Bible, then that person isn't teaching the Bible. Remember, Jesus was accused of being light on sin by the Pharisees. Paul was accused of giving people a license to sin. So unless a person can be accused of that, then they're not articulating the gospel of grace. They're not communicating the gospel of grace. That's one of the marks that a person's communicating the gospel is they're opening themselves up to the misconception that, wow, people are going to take this message and they're going to go sin all all the more. I love what Bob George said. People do a great job sinning and they never heard about grace. So let's not accuse grace as what's giving people a license to sin. Bob had a really good quote when he said that. Now, when people in the cities trusted in Jesus, they became part of the church. The church is God's family of grace consisting of both Jews and Gentiles. Paul refers to the Jews and Gentiles in one body, the church, as the mystery. So you'll see when you read Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, you'll see Paul saying he got the revelation of the gospel of grace from the ascended Jesus. Part of this revelation was Jew and Gentile in one body. This was an astonishing message he was sent to communicate. Because for 1,500 years, the Jews related to God via the law of Moses. Now Paul's going out with a totally different message. People don't relate to God through the law of Moses because it's been abolished. It's been nailed to the cross. It's been buried in the grave. You can read about that in Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. You can also read about it in Colossians 2, 13 and 14. The law has come to an end. The law of Moses has come to an end. And something new has come, and it's the church. And Paul writes about that. He calls it the new man or the new family that God has made up of Jew and Gentile, where we don't relate to God through the law of Moses. We relate to God through the cross of Christ and through the resurrection of Christ, and through the person of Christ who indwells us, the indwelling person of the Messiah or the Christ within us. That's why we find that in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says, pray for me that I may proclaim the gospel as fearlessly and as clearly as I should, because part of the gospel was that Jew and Gentile was now in one body. 
that was a dangerous message to proclaim. Notice when Paul goes into Jerusalem in Acts chapter 21, I believe, James says, thousands of people are after you. You are not safe in the city of Jerusalem. Why? Because Paul had been teaching about this new family of God. Now, Paul did follow the law when he was in Jerusalem, and that was an evangelistic strategy. He wasn't under the law. We find that out in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. But when he was with people who followed the law, he didn't go in and just break all their religious laws. For example, if you and I were going to be missionaries in another part of the world, we wouldn't go in and violate their religious laws because the moment we violate their religious laws, then we lose the opportunity to share the good news with them. We would follow whatever their laws would be in order to get the gospel of grace to them. That's what a good missionary does. They understand the culture they're in, the religious culture they're in, and they're able to, within that culture, declare the good news of grace. So a major part of Paul's ministry was the full establishment of the church in the gospel of grace, the person of Christ and the work of Christ. Now, Paul explains this in Colossians 1, 24 through 29. He says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for you. Meaning that whenever Paul went on these missionary journeys, he suffered greatly. So Paul said, now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I became its servant, servant to the church, Jew and Gentile in one body, by the commission God gave me to fully proclaim to you the word of God. So now we see Paul is not a lone ranger here out doing his thing. He was commissioned by God himself to communicate the gospel of grace. So Paul and Jesus are not in competition. We just have to distinguish between the earthly ministry of Jesus through the 12 to the nation of Israel and the ascended ministry of Jesus through Paul to the Gentiles and Jew and Gentile one body called the church. It's important to make those distinctions. Paul said, I became a servant of the church by the commission God gave me to fully proclaim to you the word of God. Now, the word of God here is not talking about the Bible. So often when we see the word of God, we think the Bible. In Psalm 19, it's talking about the law of Moses. The word of God here is talking about the gospel of grace that Jesus sent Paul to proclaim. What is the word of God? It's the gospel of grace. That's what Paul was sent by Jesus to proclaim. The full forgiveness of sins, Acts 26. The complete cleansing from sins, Acts 26. Uh, The book of Romans, we see the word of God, the gospel of grace in Romans. We see it in Galatians. Paul was given the commission to communicate fully and to proclaim the word of God. See this word proclaim here is the same word Paul uses in, in Acts 13, 38, and 39. He says, I proclaim to you the forgiveness of sins. I proclaim to you that a man is justified by faith apart from the law of Moses by faith in Jesus. That's the word of God he's referring to here. Typically, when people see this, they think the Bible and you proclaim the whole Bible And it doesn't matter where it says it in the Bible. If it says it in the Bible, it's for you. That's just showing the person who's communicating that and does not understand Scripture. Remember, 
Adam could eat certain food. Adam and Eve could eat certain food. And then God expanded it that Noah could eat certain foods. And then to Moses, he said, you can eat certain foods. So what they could eat was changing. And then he tells Peter in Acts chapter 10, you can eat anything. And so that's why it's so important for us to know where we are within the story of Scripture. Where do I fit in? Where's my part within the Scripture? Because though all the Scripture is for us so that we can understand Scripture, all of it is not applicable to us. And that's very, very important to understand. I became the servant of the church by the commission God gave me to fully proclaim to you the Word of God, the mystery This is a word we find Paul beginning to use, the mystery that was hidden for ages and generations, that what Paul proclaims you cannot find in the book of Isaiah, you cannot find in the book of Jeremiah, you cannot find in Ezekiel. It's not there. The church was a mystery. Jew and Gentile in one body relating to God apart from the law of Moses cannot be found in the Jewish scriptures. We only begin to see this in Paul's writings. And why do we see it in Paul's writings? Because the ascended Jesus explained it to Paul, who then communicated it to others. He was commissioned by God to proclaim the mystery that was hidden for ages and generation, but is now revealed to the saints or to the holy ones of God. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of the mystery which is everything God has done for you in Christ. Paul loves the phrase, the glorious riches. He uses it in Ephesians. He uses it here. And he's talking about the riches of God's grace that is freely given to us in Christ. Now, part of the glorious riches of the mystery is Christ in you. Remember, the 12 disciples was, hey, follow Jesus. In the mystery, it's not follow Jesus, it's Jesus now fully lives in you. Remember what Paul said in Galatians chapter, chapter 2. He said, it's not I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Part of his ministry was to help people understand that Christ now indwells us, and we're led from the inside out by the Spirit of Christ. So it's not us trying to follow Jesus. The 12 disciples failed miserably at that. It's Christ indwelling us. Why did God forgive all of our sins? Why did he cleanse our hearts? Because he wanted Christ to live within us. Our hearts have become the very temple of God. Your heart is the most holy place. Remember in in the temple, you had the holy place and the most holy place. Your heart has become the most holy place. Why? Because it's been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. You've been forgiven and cleansed. Why? But so that the Spirit of Christ can live in you and the Spirit of Christ can indwell you and lead us from the inside out. That's a big distinction to make when we study Scripture. And so Paul's ministry was to help people understand this so that they can experience the life of Christ in them and then being led by Christ. Paul goes on to say in Colossians 1, 28 through 29, we proclaim him. Jesus, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. So Paul's ministry was a teaching ministry of helping people understand the mystery, of helping people understand the work of Christ, all that Christ has done for us. 
that has been freely given to us that is now received by faith. So when he talks about up in Colossians 1.24, and he says, Now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. He's talking about the church there, his body being the church. The afflictions of Christ is everything he went through for us on the cross. So the ministry of Paul was to help people understand the meaning of what Jesus was doing on the cross. And we find that in the book of Romans. We find that in the book of Ephesians. We find that in the book of Galatians. He, he went through everything he went through so he could educate people about what Christ did for them. So he proclaimed Jesus, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ or fully mature in Christ. Paul understood the power of a teaching ministry. I don't know if churches truly understand the power of a teaching ministry, of helping people understand the finished work of Christ, the fullness of what Christ did for them. The pathway to maturity and Christian growth is not our efforts. It's understanding what Christ did for us. Three days ago, I was sitting outside and I had a fern sitting beside me and I began noticing that the fern, the leaves were beginning to brown on the edges. And I could have told that fern, you need to start growing. You, you don't look right. You don't look good. There's, you need to put forth effort into your own health. But that would have done no good. So I went inside and I got a big thing of water and I poured the water into the plant several times. And within an hour or so, the plant comes to life. And here's what I want us to see. The plant was doing nothing. The plant made no effort to grow, but it was rooted in not only the correct soil, but it was being watered. And that is, as it was rooted in the correct soil and watered, growth naturally happened. So when a believer is rooted in the soil of the gospel of grace, and that soil is continually watered with the gospel of grace, believers naturally grow without any effort at all. They're not trying to grow. They're not putting forth effort to grow. They're just growing because the gospel is the soil that produces growth. And when that is consistently watered with the truth of the gospel, believers grow without even trying. And we see that in Colossians chapter 1, 3 through 8. And we'll, we'll look at that more as we go through our study. But that's what Paul's ministry was, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect or fully mature in Christ. To this end, I also labor, striving with all of his energy, working powerfully in me. And that energy is the gospel of grace. Paul talked about the grace that God had given him with, wasn't without effect. That grace produced within him incredible energy. And that grace empowered Paul. So the fuel for Paul's ministry was the gospel of grace. Paul was compelled by the love of Christ for people. Second Corinthians chapter 4, I think it's verse uh, 14, Paul says, the love of Christ compels me. Paul's not saying here that my love for Christ compels me. In that verse, he's saying the love of Christ for people 
is what compels me because I want to go communicate to people how much Jesus loves them, which was demonstrated on the cross. So that was the grace of God was energizing for Paul. So there is a distinction between the earthly ministry of Jesus to Israel and his ascended ministry to the Gentiles through Paul. The church is separate from Israel. And I can't stress that enough. If you and I are going to understand scripture, we've got to understand Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are books that contain the ministry of Jesus to Israel. Now, is there things we can make application of? Yes, but I can't make proper application in those books if I haven't done proper education first. If I skip education and make application, then I'm going to misapply what was possibly only for the nation of Israel during the earthly ministry of Jesus. For example, Jesus told some people he healed, go show yourself to the priests. We can't do that because the office of the priest has been abolished. We read about that in Hebrews. There are no more priests. They're gone. But they were in operation during the earthly ministry of Jesus. So it's really important for us to distinguish these two ministries that Jesus had. In Acts 11 and Acts 13 through 14, we see Paul proclaiming the message of grace in Pisidian Antioch and the other cities of Galatia. Pisidian Antioch was one of the cities in Galatia. So we see that Paul was not working against Jesus, but was carrying out the assignment he was given by the ascended of Jesus. Now we see Paul proclaiming the message of the gospel of grace in Ephesus. Uh, he goes into Ephesus. You can read about that in Acts 19, 8 through 10. In Ephesus, Paul spends two years teaching the gospel of grace in the lecture hall of Tyrannus, and that's Acts 19, 9 through 10, and from house to house, that's Acts 20, 17 through 32. And he spends a total of three years in Ephesus. As Paul taught in Ephesus, the gospel of grace began to spread throughout Asia Minor. That's Acts 19, 8 through 10. Now, one of the cities that Paul's teaching spread to was Colossae. More than likely, Epaphras, who was from Colossae, heard about Paul's message and traveled to Ephesus along with Philemon to learn from Paul. So Epaphras hears about Paul's message of grace, travels to Ephesus, takes Philemon with him more than likely, and they're going to learn the gospel of grace directly from Paul. So after hearing Paul teach, Epaphras and Philemon become excited about the gospel of grace. There are some of the people whose hearts are overflowing with joy because they've heard about the gospel of grace. They return to Colossae to start a church in Philemon's home. So from the home of Philemon, Epaphras taught the Colossian people about the grace of God, which transformed their lives the day they heard and understood it. That's Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. At some point, Epaphras travels to Rome to visit Paul, where Paul was imprisoned. He wants to discuss with Paul his concern of the influence of the spiritual culture upon the church in Colossae. So in Colossians 4, 12 through 13, Paul writes about Epaphras' concern for the church. He writes, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you so that you may stand mature and fully assured in the full will of God. For I testify about him that he goes to great pains for you and for those at Laodicea and Heropolis. 
So Epaphras was very concerned. So he travels to Rome and he presents these concerns to Paul. Paul, though he never met the Colossians, we read about that in Colossians 2.1, he had only heard of their faith, Colossians 1.3. Paul writes a letter to the Colossians and it is carried to them by Tychicus and Onesimus, back to Colossae. So in Paul's letter, he writes to encourage and establish the Colossian people in the truths of the gospel of grace, such as complete forgiveness of their sins and Christ in you, and he writes to establish them in the truths of the identity of Jesus. Paul writes in Colossians 2, 1 through 3, I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me face to face, that they may be encouraged in heart, knit together in love, and filled with the full riches of complete understanding. This was why Paul's writing the letter. He wants to educate them. He wants to teach them because there's some teachings that are coming to them that are inaccurate about the person of Christ and incomplete about the work of Christ. So he's writing this letter to provide for their full understanding of the riches of the gospel of grace and the person of Christ so that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Now, why does Paul write the letter to the Colossians? I say this in Colossians 2, 4, I say this so that no one will deceive you by smooth rhetoric. So there were teachers in Colossae who were skillful teachers. They could present a message that sounded accurate, that sounded true, that sounded correct. But it was inaccurate because it wasn't the complete work of Christ, nor was it a correct description of the person of Christ. So what we find in Colossians is Paul writes about the person of Christ, and he writes about the work of Christ, so that they will have a complete and full understanding of not only who Jesus is, but what Jesus has done for them. So he didn't want them to be deceived. That's why he writes the letter. Now, Epaphras remained in Rome with Paul, and he sent the letter back with Tychicus. So let's start today. That's an overview of last week. Let's start today in Colossians 1.1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Now, Paul met Timothy in the region of Galatia. He began to be a teammate of Paul. They went on their missionary journeys together. So Timothy traveled with Paul on his missionary journeys, and he listened to Paul teach the gospel of grace. Timothy eventually became the pastor in Ephesus. Paul, when he wrote his very last letter, he's writing it to Timothy, or the last letter that we have. He writes it to Timothy, and if you want to, to jot down 2 Timothy chapter 2, 1 through 2, he writes this to Timothy. He says, Timothy, be strong in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses. What would have Timothy heard Paul talking about? the gospel of grace, the very thing that the ascended Jesus sent Paul to communicate. Timothy listened to Paul and learned from Paul. And now Paul is saying, Timothy, what you've heard me say and what you've learned from me, I want you to teach others, reliable men who can teach others. I want you to teach people who can teach. The teaching ministry of Paul was significant 
it's still significant today. Churches need teaching. I know some people say, well, believers don't need another Bible study. I believe the very opposite. I don't believe most believers have ever been in a real Bible study. What we call Bible studies typically aren't Bible studies. They're mainly people's opinions about a verse. Well, what do you feel? What do you think? And there's a failure to understand the whole story of Scripture. They're constantly taking verses out of context in Bible studies. I think the greatest need for churches today is Bible studies, because I don't think many believers have ever been in real Bible studies. We see the value of teaching that Paul places here with Timothy is the value of a teaching ministry. So we pick up in Colossians 1-2, Paul says, to the saints and faithful, believing brothers in Christ at Colossae. Now, a saint is a holy one. A saint is a person who's been forgiven of all sins and cleansed from all sins. We're not sinners saved by grace. We're saints. We're holy ones. We're forgiven ones. The word saint is the same Greek word Jesus told Paul to proclaim in Acts 26, 19, when Jesus said, those who are sanctified by faith in me are those who are made holy by faith in me. And We've been made holy. We've been forgiven of all sins. We've been cleared of all sins. We are the holy ones of God. Now, believers are called saints over 50 times in the Bible, and never is a believer called a sinner saved by grace. We're always called saints. We were sinners. We were saved by grace, and now we're called saints. All right, so let's continue in Colossians verse 2. Paul writes, Grace and peace to you from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's easy to skip over that sentence. Most commentaries will say, hey, this was the general greeting of Paul to believers. It was his standard greeting. I would agree with that if the phrase from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ was not in that. If Paul simply said, grace and peace to you, It's kind of like I start most of my emails when you guys receive emails from me, and I'll say, hello, everybody, in my email. But if I said this, if you guys got an email from me that said, hello, everybody, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, suddenly that changes the greeting. This is not Paul's greeting to the church in Colossae. Paul is sending this greeting from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ to the church in Colossae. So that makes it a huge statement. Remember, Jesus, the ascended Jesus, discipled Paul. We find out in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, that Paul went into the third heavens. How it happened, he didn't know, but he knew he went into the third heavens. And he was revealed things that he was not permitted to tell anybody. At some point, I can hear the Father and the Lord Jesus saying, Hey, Paul, when you write your letters to the churches, send them our grace. Send them our peace. I think Paul is saying to the, it's not a general, it's not a general greeting. It's a very specific greeting from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ to the believers which if Paul was writing a letter to you, he would say your name. Hey, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the heart of God to you. It's, it's a heart of grace. It's a heart of love. It's the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a heart of grace to you. It's a heart of peace to you. 
Now, the heart of God is to know us as sons and daughters. Notice here, it says, grace and peace to you from God, our Father. The heart of God is is for us to know him as Father. I want us to look at some scriptures about that. Jeremiah 3.19. During the time of the law, when the people of Israel were in rebellion to the law of Moses, Jeremiah is speaking on behalf of God. And Jeremiah says these words. This is God talking through the prophet Jeremiah. And God says through Jeremiah, I thought, how I long to make you my sons. It's a general word, sons and daughters. How I long to make you my sons and give you a desirable land, the most beautiful inheritance of all the nations. I thought you would call me my father and you would never turn away from me. That's the heart of God. God's heart is not to be a judge. God's heart is to be a father. It's just like any father. No father's heart is having to discipline children for their misbehavior. We would rather be outside playing ball with them. We would rather be a dad to them than having to discipline, but that's just part of it. The heart of God is to be father. Now, Knowing God as Father was a vital part of the gospel of grace that Paul proclaimed. So when we hear the word gospel, we've got to understand this is also knowing God as Father. It's an incomplete gospel message if it doesn't contain knowing God as Father. So in Galatians 4, 4 through 7, Paul's been writing about the gospel that the people of Galatia had deserted. They had deserted the gospel of grace, so he's explaining the gospel again to them. And when he gets to Galatians 4, 4 through 7, Paul writes, But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born of Mary, born under the law. So the entire life of Jesus was lived under the law of Moses, under the old covenant. And the new covenant went into effect when Jesus died on the cross. The church was not in existence when Jesus existed on earth. His ministry was to Israel. So he was born under the law, the nation of Israel, to redeem or to set people free from the law, that we might receive our adoption as sons or be placed into his family of grace as sons and daughters. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. That's the heart of God. Abba means my my daddy who loves me, my daddy who goes outside and plays ball with me, and a little girl, my daddy who sits, sits with me in the floor and plays dolls with me. It's a genuine love. It's a love. This word Abba is bursting with unconditional love and unmerited kindness. And remember what we read in Jeremiah. I don't want to be the lawgiver. I want to be the lover of your soul. I want to be the father to you. And I thought you would call me father. God is enabling us in the gospel of grace to call him father. He's redeemed people from the law because under law, he's judge, right? But he really just wants to be the father. Under grace, he's Abba father. So Paul completes this. So you are no longer a slave to what? The law, to performance, to trying to earn something with God to fear that I'm not doing enough for God. We've been set free from a performance-based 
legalistic approach to relating to God. Have I had my quiet time? Oh, oh no, I haven't. I feel bad because I haven't had my quiet time. You know how many people are slaves to having to have a quiet time every day? And if they don't have their quiet time, they feel guilty. If they don't pray, they feel guilty. If they don't have their quiet time in prayer, their daily devotion, they feel like that God's disappointed with them. So even though they live under grace, they're relating to God by a religious law. I tell people all the time, you're more than welcome to have quiet times and and to have daily devotions. But if you become a slave to those, meaning if you skip it or miss it and you feel guilt or you feel God's disappointed in you for that, then you've become a slave to a daily quiet time. You're missing out on the Abba Father relationship. And so for me, I just enjoy an Abba Father relationship with God all day long. It's not about did I have a quiet time or not have a quiet time? Have I had a devotion or not? Did I have my 15-minute prayer time today or not? I'm in a love relationship with Abba Father. I've been redeemed from the law, from performing. I'm not a slave to having to do anything today to merit something with God, to get the approval of God or get the smile of God upon my life. I am Abba's son. You are Abba's son. You are Abba's daughter. He loves you. This is what Paul's communicating. And since you are a son or a daughter, you're also an heir through God. Look what Paul writes in Romans 8, 14 through 17. He's written about the gospel in all of Romans. And this is where he kind of completes the gospel message. To a certain extent, he moves back into some other theological issues in Romans 9, 10, or 11. But his train of thought running from Romans chapter 1, 16 to Romans 8, 17, he completes it with this. For those who are led by the Spirit of God, notice, again, Paul's ministry was not, hey, be a fully devoted follower of Jesus or follow Jesus. That was not the message of Paul to the church. For those who are led by the Spirit of God in us are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves. You are not a slave to the law. The Spirit of Christ in you is not about making you a slave to having performed every day to somehow get God's acceptance or to get God's smile or to get God's approval. That's not the Spirit of God in you leading you to do that. The Spirit of God leads you to call God Abba Father where you know you're loved by Him. No law to keep, no expectations to meet. You are a loved son or daughter of the Father. The spirit you received, Paul says, does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Oh my gosh, I'm afraid I miss my daily devotional. So many people are wrapped up in that fear so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit of Christ in you, which is the spirit of God that you received when you placed your faith in Christ, brought about your adoption to sonship. You are a loved son of Abba. You are a loved son of the father, a loved daughter of Abba, who you're not a slave to having to meet any criteria. It's been done for you in Christ. And by the spirit of Christ in us, Paul says, we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The Spirit of God in you wants to convince you that you're a loved son of Abba, that you're a loved daughter of Abba. That's where the Spirit of Christ is going to lead you, to the love of Abba. Now, in Ephesians, Paul writes, this is his prayer. He's writing out his prayer for the church in Ephesus. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ 
the glorious Father may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Did you know that Paul didn't teach the believers in Ephesus to have a daily quiet time? Paul did not teach the believers in Ephesus to have a daily devotional. You can't find that anywhere. Paul prayed for the believers that they would have a greater revelation of the love of the Father. Notice how Paul related to the Father. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. And this is in Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And as I kneel before the Father and as I pray to the Father, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So notice, Paul is not trying to get people to follow Jesus. He's trying to help those who've come to faith in Jesus to understand the spirit of Jesus in them. And then he's praying that the Father, through the spirit of Jesus in them, within their inner being, would give them a greater revelation and a greater understanding of the love of Christ for them. I pray that with power through his spirit in your inner being, he may strengthen you so that that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Again, Paul's message and ministry was not the same of the 12 who said, follow Jesus. They failed miserably. The message of the ascended Jesus through Paul to the church is Christ in you so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, Paul said, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's saints. It says here, holy people, but the word there is saints, holy ones, forgiven ones, that you may have the power. And this is what Paul's praying to the Father, that the spirit of Christ in you would enable you to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ for you. Remember what Paul said in Galatians 2.20? This life that I live, I live by faith in the one who loved me and gave himself for me. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So Paul wanted people to understand how much they were loved by Jesus. And only the dwelling presence of Jesus in the heart of a person can give people that insight and that understanding and that awareness of how much they're loved by Jesus. Paul's message again was not, hey, be a follower of Jesus. His message was faith in Jesus and Jesus be fully formed and developed in you. And you come to a revelation and understanding of how much you're loved by Jesus. And he says, so you can grasp how wide and how long and how high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all of the fullness of God. So how is a person filled to the measure of all the fullness of God? Remember, Paul, this is all internal here. There is nothing here about go have a quiet time. It's all this internal awakening to the love of Christ, that you are filled internally to the measure of all of the fullness of God. And what is this internal feeling? That allows us to be filled to the measure of the fullness of God, knowing the love of Christ for us. And whatever we're filled with comes out of us. So if you and I are filled with the love of Christ, then flowing from us is love to others. 
Remember what Jesus said? This is how people will know that you're my disciples, by your love. And how are we going to love others? By being filled with the measure of the fullness of the love of Jesus in us. Then it'll overflow into the lives of others. Now in Colossians, Paul writes, we always think, this is Colossians 1, 3, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. So he's praying to Abba Father. And then in Colossians 1, 12 through 14, the theme of the Father continues. Paul says, giving thanks to the Father as we pray, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. The Father who has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So because of God's heart for us to know him as Father and the emphasis Paul puts on the Father in his epistles, we can't treat his opening greeting as a simple general greeting. So with this in mind, let's read Colossians 1-2 again. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. See, once we understand the love of the Father and all that Jesus has done for us, total transformation will begin to happen in our lives. Now notice who grace and peace is from. God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is grace in this greeting? Grace is God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ sending their unconditional love and their unmerited kindness to us. And what is peace in this greeting? Peace is God the Father declaring that those who have placed their faith in Jesus are in right standing with him through faith in Jesus or through what Jesus has done. So peace is God the Father declaring that those who have placed their faith in Jesus are in right standing with Jesus because of what Jesus has done. And a right standing with God is righteousness before him, cleansed from all sins, forgiven by him, not guilty, our sin record cleared, under no condemnation from him. Look at Romans 5, 1 through 2. Therefore, since we've been justified or made innocent before God through faith in Jesus, because at the cross, Jesus took all of our guilt, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What is the hope of the glory of God that we rejoice in? It's the grace that we stand in. The grace that we stand in is the hope of God for you. God's heart for you. God's hope for you is that you and I will come to a place where we stand in grace and we relate to him from a place of grace and not a place of law, but a place of grace. And we know that we're justified. We know that we're innocent because Jesus took our guilt. We know that we're accepted by him. We know that we have peace with him, which means there's no sins that he's going to judge us for because they were all judged at the cross. We're under no condemnation with God because of what Jesus has done for us.